Talking to myself, I must be crazy Smiling through the streets like it's a holiday Having for myself that much, but baby I just got some news that's gonna make that change Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back. Welcome back. Mic check, mic check. Welcome back for episode 12, okay, of whatever we want. Wednesdays with whatever Lola wants podcast. Hey, y'all. So, y'all are going to have to bear with me a little bit this week. I am recording outside. I am in the park. You might hear some uh, some things. Hopefully nothing strange. And uh, maybe even a little bit of wind. But let's jump right in. Okay, so thanks for joining me. You know the deal. However you found me. If you found me via the WordPress blog, go ahead and um, follow me on Instagram. Just at underscore what dot ever dot Lola dot once underscore. And if you found me on Instagram, make sure that you follow my blog, which is whatever Lola wants dot home dot blog. Okay. So episode's going to be a little different today. Just a little different, a little saucy. I didn't switch things around a little bit. Hopefully that's not too jarring for you guys because I think it's going to be great. So we're going to start off as usual. We have good news first, and good news is always the first segment. It's where I put everything that's good news, everything that gives me positive energy, positive vibes, or just, you know, makes you feel good, gives you, restores hope for the world, okay? And uh, this week for good news, I mean, of course, once again, let me go back. You know, whatever I talk about in the blog, even if you don't know, you can find it on my blog, okay? So whatever I speak about in the podcast, you can find it on the blog in the blog post. There will be a link that is uh, embedded within a picture so go ahead and go to the blog and click away if you need more information so first up in good news we have gay in botswana okay it's legal okay they legalized gay relationships it seems to be a little bit uh you know a bit overdue but we have to remember that everyone makes progress in their own time and botswana was apparently still living under colonial era rules okay so you know, much love and light to the LGBT family in Botswana, okay, and their journey, because we know that law can't protect you from ignorance. So just wishing them the best on their journey towards um, legalizing love. You know what I mean? So I think that's appropriate good news to just hold it down this week. One good news for the segment. We're going to move on, and our next segment is called Blackity Black. And this is where I put all things black news, black pop culture, black anything really, blackity black, okay, and first up, you know, in the line of, uh, you know, queerness, we have Mr. Barry Jenkins, okay, he is directing an Alvin Ailey movie, okay, Alvin Ailey movie, I mean, for me, 
I know Alvin Ailey is a legend, and I am aware that, you know, his legacy is still around, but I feel like I still don't know much about him. I know that there was a book published a few years ago, and I do know that Judith Jamison was uh, one of his best friends, and she speaks of him often. But I can't wait to see if they actually um, give us a sneak peek into his life, basically, into who he was as a person, not just as a dancer or as a choreographer or as someone who stood up for the things that he believed in. Which are all great things. And we know Barry Jenkins. He's such a poetic uh, director. Like everything is imagery and sensuality for him. So I can't wait to see what he does. And I can't wait to see who will play Alvin Ailey. That's that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) You know, that is a lot of pressure. I wonder if they'll just have an actor or if they'll have, you know, someone from Broadway who can also act and dance. Um, Maybe they'll make it a musical. Is that is that asking too much? We'll have like a a Rent 2.0, but like Alvin Ailey. So. That's exciting. That's going to be so exciting. Moving on in Blackity Black, we have um, the wearable art gallery with Miss uh, Tina Knowles Lawson. I thought I had missed out (laughs) because I remember seeing all the pictures like on Instagram and things like that. Oh, wearable art gallery. Thank you for coming out. You know, we had such a good time, you know, seeing Beyonce and Blue Ivy, you know, looking all cute and they're like Lion King garb. And I just thought like, oh, it's one of those things that I'll never get to see or like participate in. Fine come to find out it either aired on own or it airs tonight so there was a bit of a typo in the essence article i'm not sure they said wednesday june 11th so i'm not sure if they meant tuesday june 11th or wednesday june 12th so if it was the 11th it was last night at 10 but if it's not i'm kind of hoping um that it would be tonight at 10 okay and that's the wearable art gallery and um Maxwell performed so honestly yes costumes yay oh pretty art wearable but I really just want to see Maxwell perform I'm just gonna be honest and I mean Tiffany Haddish too I think she hosted it so that should be interesting I'm also in blackity black we have her you know the artist formerly known as her (laughs) she is actually curating and headlining a um, music festival in California in September girl got her own music festival like we know she's artistic we know she's super talented and spirited but she she said she making moves okay so september in cali it's called the lights on festival and again all of this stuff can be found in the blog post so nothing to worry about right right i'm gonna try and get tickets tickets go on sale actually they went on sale earlier today which i think is a bit much it's june So that doesn't give me much hope that there will be tickets left by the time I would think that I would need them. But so be it. Um, Not in passing, but I haven't watched yet. But I'm sure that, you know, if I have 10 listeners, I'm sure about seven of them watch Queen Sugar. Okay. So we had the premiere of Pose yesterday on FX. And then today on OWN, Queen Sugar is back for season four. Okay. So I haven't started watching yet, but I have friends that literally rave about it or, you know, just give really, really good reviews. And I mean, it's Ava. I just, you know, I'm one of those people that doesn't have cable. So it's just one of those things that kind of got away from me. (laughs) So I kind of, I got to go back. All right. I'm going to start from season one. Hopefully by the time I get there, season four will be done and I can just binge all the way through. Okay. So our next segment is going to be watch this. This is where I put all of our, um, you know, things to watch, TV, web series, you know, cable networks, movies, all right, everything of that sort that you can watch goes into watch this. So first up, 
there is the All Voices Film Festival via Amazon. So I didn't even know that they had a call for submissions. Um, I'm not a filmmaker, so it wasn't like, oh, I wish I could have submitted. But I wish that I was able to tell you all about it, you know, while there still was time to submit. But submissions are over. But now comes the hard part. Now comes watching the movies and rating them. So again, that's the All Voices Film Festival via Amazon. And it's basically an online film festival dedicated to like shining light on uh, filmmakers and directors and writers of color. Okay. So, you know, or not, you know, I take it back. It's not of color. It's just of people who ordinarily wouldn't get the chance to participate in a film festival and just so happen to include people of color. Um, I browsed some of the movies and I just, I, I think I got to do it again. I'm going to give it a second chance. Okay. So that's in Watch This. Also in Watch This is a new movie. It just came out. Uh, it premiered in San Francisco and New York, if I'm not mistaken. And it comes out on Friday. It's called The Last Man in San Francisco. Okay. So I'm like nicknaming it in my head. It's called San Francisco Man, but that's not it. It's The Last Man in San Francisco. It is a movie about a black man that returns to San Francisco, to his family's home and its history. And I'm not even... The movie is so textured and so colorful. It's really a beautiful movie. I haven't even seen... Like, I watched the trailer. And I have an overall grasp about what the movie deals with. But what I was really left with is how... It made me feel, which is really interesting. It's like looking at a piece of art and you're like, oh, it makes me feel like, you know, or it makes me think of. It was very reminiscent of, kind of makes me feel like when you watch movies from the 90s and it gives you that nostalgia. So I think that might have been a part of why they chose the aesthetic they did. It gives you a nostalgia. And I think that's a big thing that the uh, main characters are dealing with in the movie as well. Critics are raving about it. I'm going to find my way to see it here in D.C. because it needs to happen. I need some more sensation in my life. It's very much like like Moonlight or If Bill Street Could Talk, that kind of warm, sticky, sweet, savory kind of movie, if that makes any sense to you. It makes sense to me, so bear with me here. Bear with me in my, uh, my descriptive words. All right, so moving on, we have classifieds. Classifieds is where I put all of the leads that I come across, whether it be for um, employment or just different opportunities, like literally what you would find in the Whatever Lola Wants podcast newspaper, if it was a newspaper. Okay, so first up, we have a position for a literary agent assistant. Okay, it's in L.A. Okay, so... There's a boutique literary agency looking for a literary agent assistant, if that sounds like you and you're in L.A. and or you want to relocate. Again, it's in my blog. It was a very nice post. It was um, you could tell that whoever posted it is passionate about the literary agency. And, you know, I know that there are a lot of creators and a lot of writers here who are looking for employment that really feeds their creativity and what they're trying to do with their lives so if you're a writer and you're in LA and you're also kind of looking for employment I mean hey girl hey or hey boy hey go ahead and look at that post also in classifieds the Spotify sound up 2019 contest okay so Spotify is trying to make it easier for podcasters of color or specifically black women to become podcasters so they're offering like mentoring sessions and producing um 
you know, producing 10 episodes of your podcast. And I think there is also a pitch competition where you can win either five or $10,000. Can't quite remember. Again, that's in the blog post and that's Spotify sound up. You have until June 21st to submit your application. So, I mean, you know, with anything, it's a process. You might want to go ahead and get that started. Um, just so that you can have time, even if the application process isn't as extensive as it or as difficult as it could be, just to make sure you have your P's and Q's by the time, you know, the deadline runs around. You don't want to have to do everything last minute. So and shout out to Dapper Dr. Phil for passing that along to me. If you don't know who Dapper Dr. Phil is, go ahead, follow me on Instagram. OK, and I'll put some of his stuff in my story. How about that? So. I am not going to do goings-ons today. Usually goings-ons takes over the podcast. What is that, like 10, 12 minutes just talking about the things that are going on, especially here in D.C. as far as like events and stuff? I'm not doing that today, y'all. Plus, I really didn't find anything for this week, which I think was a blessing in disguise because it's giving me the opportunity to really dig into the new segment, which is up for discussion, okay? Last week... I let you guys know that the new segment up for discussion each week, we would speak about one topic and I'd give you the topic for the next episode or the next week. Okay, so last week I said that we would talk about HBO's Native Son. And I got to say, after I finished watching the movie, I almost regretted saying that <laughs> because <laughs> I just didn't I didn't know the gravity of it all. I just didn't even know what I was getting myself into when I did that one there. Okay, so, of course, start from the beginning. Native Son is originally a novel written by Richard Wright, received to such critical acclaim. The man sold 250,000 copies in the first three weeks. Gotta be honest, when I do release a book or anything, I'm just hoping that there's that kind of reception or even better. Okay, because he ended up being the richest writer of his time. So, with that being said, the novel was released, and earlier this year, director Rashid Johnson got to turn the novel into a film for HBO. So, this movie, I had to break it down. I literally had to write down our points because I knew I was going to get on here and babble if I did not, okay? So, first let me say that the movie is an entirely different animal than the book like I don't yeah two totally different beasts okay so <laughs> first of all the movie of course it's set in the more modern day um, you know I couldn't quite pinpoint if it was supposed to be today literally as in 2019 or even just a bit a bit behind but it's modern day and it's relevant okay and it's Chicago and the movie is very artistic um just to highlight Rashid Johnson is an artist he's a visual artist and this is his first um this is his directorial debut or debut rather sorry so when you think about what artists like to do and everything that they do they kind of make everything art right so visually and just the, the the movie scores so the music and the imagery and even down to the actors themselves everything was extremely well done in watching an online interview with uh, Rashid Johnson and reading an article he said and I quote I was not interested in telling the story of a monster 
okay? Somebody that I am incapable of tolerating and incapable of bringing to the screen with the intention that I have for this work, for this character, end quote. So that should give you an idea of it. But if you haven't read the book or if you haven't read any reviews about the book, I haven't read the book itself. I haven't read the novel. But apparently in the book, the main character, his name is Bigger. We call him Big. Um, he kills a woman. He kills his boss's daughter, a white woman, wealthy white woman, by accident. And the chain of events just goes downhill from there. So in the book, apparently, he kills the woman. And then he also does some very sexually violating things to his girlfriend and ends up killing his girlfriend as well so apparently the book there was a lot of controversy and we'll get to that but in directing the movie uh johnson said that he didn't even he couldn't even take the character there because it just wasn't in his it wasn't in his know-how you know to create a character or allow the character to do that and still believe in him and still believe in the vision that he had for the movie so once again movie book two totally different things so in the movie we watch big i should probably i should have said spoiler alert i hope it's not too late spoiler alert so after doing all these things and trying to like reconcile you know what he's done and you know what he the uh i guess the con- the conflict or the moment that he has with his girlfriend in place of doing what he does to her in the book. Um, He redeems himself, okay, via suicide by cop. Just saying literally the words that I thought of, suicide by cop, which, you know, it says a lot in and of itself. Because when you're sitting there, you're watching the movie, and the cops, at the end of the movie, they tell him to turn around, and he has his hands in his pockets. And he doesn't take his hands out immediately, and instead he does so slowly. I instantly knew, okay, it clicked instantly. Okay, so, and accompanying that, like, revelation of what he was doing and what was going to happen were, like, floods of emotion related to, you know, the murder of a black man or a weaponless black man, okay, that my DNA shuddered at, okay, the memory of. My DNA shuddered at the memory. So, earth-shattering is the fact that, you know, the character in the movie, but we also knew that he would achieve his goal, okay, the the end to his means, that he would be dying we just know that that's how it goes okay police black man hands in his pockets oh that's it he's dead you know even if we did have a moment to think about it if you know the film wasn't so captivating and we kind of were able to break the veil of that moment we would know does that make sense so just using using you know certain visual cues and drawing off of history to get the audience to a certain conclusion was amazing for me But even in so, even throughout the movie, after he does what he does and we see, we see things that would normally condemn someone, you know, you're, you're able to say, oh, that person is good and that person is bad. And the things that we, you know, saw Big do in the movie, we would automatically say, okay, that makes him bad, but bigger, he was textured and impressionable. Okay. So as competent and as intelligent as he was, okay, there was also a certain helplessness that pervaded, especially at the end. And like, I guess, hopelessness to being human and also hopelessness to the system because you get a sense of the pressures that were on him and you know that they had nothing to do with just being human. They were external pressures. Okay. So we got this really full picture of bigger as a human and as someone who has flaws and someone who wasn't beyond redemption and someone that we actually wanted to see 
come to some kind of resolve, even though he had done the things that he, you know, that he did. So in saying that, Mr. Baldwin, James Baldwin, apparently had (laughs) a very interesting relationship with the uh, novels writer, Richard Wright. And um, basically Baldwin believed that art should be art for the sake of art, okay, and not disguised as you know, a way to deal with politics or a way to, you know, you had to keep, not that you had to keep, but at one point he believed that art and politics should be separate. You create art for the sake of, you know, feeling and and sensationalism. And you, you know, he did very well with keeping his stories kind of separate from his essays, which is amazing. But with that said, the book, okay, the book itself was set in uh, Depression era Chicago. So that's like 1930s in Chicago. Think poverty, think, you know, what hood really means, you know, where poor and, you know, black and brown people were basically put, you know, um, within cities. So the worst kind of, uh, apparently, the worst kind of conditions and the upbringing and the pressures, okay? And it was categorized as a protest, a protest novel. So protest novel basically meaning, hey, I have something to say politically or um, socially, and I'm going to say it through a book. So I'm going to create this character for the purpose of uh, basically pushing forward what I believe to be true and address in society, which is what Baldwin was adamantly against. And word on the street, okay, word on the street is that, uh, you know, I'm going to get to that. We'll start with a quote from an article that I read that's also posted on the blog, quote, black people in the real world were correlative to black characters on the page. When black writers affirmed their subject's full humanity, the scope of their novels included the expectation that the real world would change radically so that it too could affirm and acknowledge that humanity. I am led to wonder then. What a character like Bigger Thomas, what future, what vision is reflected in such a miserable and incompletely realized creature? And that's end quote. Okay. <laughs> the, uh, the author of that article was basically trying to, you know, do a comparison to the other books of that era. You know, Zora Neale Hurston's Their Eyes Are Watching God, those kind of books who gave us characters who had such a full scope of humane qualities, basically saying like, not perpetuating stereotypes and basically art for the sake of being art art for reflecting the life that they knew okay so the t is that apparently james baldwin was richard wright's protege at one point i'm gonna assume it was before this whole ordeal i mean james baldwin eventually came around to say that richard wright was one of the most important writers um, of the era however he had much to say about this book and Wright's overall uh, aims for his writing and his motives. Okay, so James Baldwin wrote a 10-essay book, okay, called Notes of a Native Son, Denouncing Native Son. 10 essays. And we know James Baldwin is not a, he knows not brevity, okay? If he writes an essay, it's a speech. (laughs) So 10 essays basically saying why this book was not moving uh, the the black race forward. It was not advancing black art. It was not worthy of the acclaim that it had come to. And I gotta be honest, well, James Baldwin also thought that he, his theory was that he published the book to achieve fame and to achieve critical acclaim, not for the sake of, you know, I'm a writer and this is my creation. Basically, he wanted to shock white readers into 
following him and into fame and riches, which is kind of, I guess, the end result, whether or not that was his goal. So honestly, 250,000 copies in the first three weeks. I wonder if it was like a publishing, like a, a publicity stunt. Okay, like maybe, <laughs> you know, okay, I'm going to release this book and, you know, they'll buy it because they'll eat it up. And then afterward, I will write books about, you know, that are more realistic or that actually speak to my cause. Because, you know, I got to be honest, it's kind of like when Trump first got elected and I was really, really hoping that it was a bad joke and that he was going to uh, like eventually say, ha ha, psych, gotcha. Now that I'm in office, I'm going to do this. You know, I was hoping it was a publicity stunt. So Perhaps that's what it is. I got to look deeper into it, but that's what I got for now. And to be honest, you know, uh, James Baldwin and a lot of other writers of the time, they were really concerned with um, perpetuating stereotypes. And, you know, even further, other scholars were extreme, like they dedicated their lives to breaking out of breaking out of stereotypes and breaking out of the things that kind of held black people for that time. So... When you think about it, we know that it's not stereotypes in the eyes of other black people because we know the truth. You know, to white people, we are literally like battling stigmas that never truly existed. You know, artists have spent their entire lives and talents attempting to undo like an unjust doing of black existence that, you know, white people who historically have been, you know, murderous and pillaging or they you know in certain instances and a lot of instances more majority often than not that was our first contact with them you understand that so we're battling these images that these people have created and people have spent their entire lives and gifts that could have been used otherwise but i guess when you think about human existence and you just like you know i guess this world that we live in what else would we use our gifts for if it wasn't to uh make our lives better and that kind of thing so you got to wonder you know the mechanics of it all you know behind the veil what was god thinking (laughs) but also it's also the greatest propaganda that ever existed you know how like war propaganda they release stuff about the other countries or the other rulers and you know it makes the public feel a certain way it's the greatest propaganda that just from black men being like cocaine addicted rapacious you know back when after the uh, reconstruction when black people were starting to you know take up jobs there was just this big campaign that oh they're stealing our jobs and they're this and they're that and there was just so much created that that's not even where it starts but the crazy thing is we've been battling this for as long as as long as we've been here so with that said We are literally fighting shadows. I'm going to keep saying it because it's astounding to me as a writer and as a creative that there are people, politicians, you know, philosophers, artists, other creatives who have spent their entire existence, their entire presence, you know, as a a cognizant human being on this planet fighting against racism, which is a social construct, which is something that was created to be oppressive, you know, spent lifetimes. That's astounding to me. So in saying that, um, writer Irving Howe, when reviewing Native Son, the book, uh, he said, the quote, the day Native Son appeared, American culture was changed forever. A blow at the white man and the novel forced him to recognize himself as an oppressor, end quote. And that coming from a Jewish white man. So (laughs) I, 
I will not take a side as to whether, you know, the, the book was good or bad or whether it, you know, advanced us or it, it perpetuated stereotypes. I do agree that art should be kept separate from politics and from social reform. I mean, I know art can be used in that way, but I see what Baldwin was saying when he's saying, like, okay, you're a writer and you have characters. If that is what it is, say it's what it is. Don't disguise it as art. You know, art and activism overlap. I don't think that they should be kept separate. But if that's what it is, you should also say so. You know, and uh, he kind of felt like Wright was kind of hiding behind the veil of that. So, I mean, between the movie and between the book, some things are the same. You know, i.e. no one would ever believe that a poor black man killed a rich white lady by accident. So whether it's the book or whether it's the movie, you kind of still have those same uh, systemic you know, the systemic inevitability that, okay, you did this and now what? I really, really wonder, though, the thought came to me as like a big point. Um, some of the writers of the time that agreed with James Baldwin thought that Bigger Thomas uh, in the novel, that he wasn't a realistic character, that he wasn't real, you know, as if to say, you know, their characters were of, you know, pieces of people that they knew in real life and pieces of themselves that they put into the book and this bigger Thomas character was nothing like they had ever seen so under the premise that he was not a quote real character okay real character versus a perpetuation of a stereotype or an over-exaggerated stereotype um what would make him more realistic also what would happen if there was a role reversal what if it wasn't a um what if first of all what if a black man hadn't wrote it or hadn't written it what if Richard Wright was white? Also, what if the book itself, what if Bigger Thomas was a white man? And, you know, Mary, that's her name in the book, made, what if she was a rich black woman? Or what if, you know, Bigger Thomas was a rich white man and Mary was a poor black woman? It's just, there are so many possibilities and I wonder what the reception would have been or what the feedback would have been if, the premise of the story was different and basically I guess that's saying if society was different and that's not something we have at the current moment <laughs> so whew, 30 minutes I haven't gone over 30 minutes in this podcast in a very very long time so with that said to close it up we have a quote from writer A.T. McWilliams from The Atlantic wrote an article discussing Native Son and uh, his point was, quote, despite their divergent renditions of Bigger's demise, Wright's Bigger is convicted and sentenced to death via electric chair. Both Wright and Parks write the anti-hero's death as happening at the hands of the state. In doing so, they indict a troubled country mired in discriminatory systems, an oppressive parent who seems to strike fear in her children, only to cast them away unmoved by the loss of her native sons. And that's an end quote, okay? Uh, in addition to that, I saw on... Uh, there's just so much online. That article itself is also linked in the blog post, okay? And if you have any questions, also, I want to hear back and hear what you think. If you listen to this and you have something to say, make sure you reach out to me. I don't care if it's here on the blog post, if you comment on um, Instagram, send me a message, something, okay? So, also... You know, I got to drop it up for discussion our second week. OK, so next week, our topic is going to be 
I can't fight it any longer. I'm going to watch When They See Us, and you have to watch it with me. So for next week, we are going to attempt to discuss When They See Us. And I feel like there were four episodes, right? It's cut into four pieces. I feel like it might take us four episodes of this podcast to get through what happens there. Um, I've been putting it off just because uh, my emotional receptivity or my... You know, I'm sensitive. So there are certain things that I have to kind of shield myself from, or I felt like I have I had to shield, shield myself from. But the thing is, you know, being an artist and being a creative and wanting to have something to do with the way or the new world that we're creating, you kind of have to face the past and you have to be aware and involved with certain things. So this is me pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I hope that you join me once again next week. We are going to discuss Ava DuVernay's uh, Netflix docu-series called When They See Us, all right? And I just to close that, I saw a post on Instagram <laughs> that said, you know, we literally have people not wanting to watch this movie or to watch this, this series because they are afraid. They are scared. So come to think of it, a movie about America's justice system is a horror movie. How astounding is that? <laughs> that something that's based on real life, literally based on actual facts, things that have happened, nothing's exaggerated, maybe dramatized, that that is horror to some people. And I couldn't agree more because that's the reason I didn't watch it. I literally said to a friend, like, I can't handle it. And, you know, the truth is, neither could they. So that's what it is. You know, I fell a little short because I don't have an affirmation for this week. But I do have a jam of the week, okay? And the song is called Energy by Sampa the Great, okay? Get into it, and uh, can't wait to talk to y'all next week. We're going to talk us about some stuff, and I will have more goings-ons if that's what you were missing the most from this week, okay? So thanks for joining me yet again. This is episode 12, okay? Episode 12, and I will see you next week. Thank you.